Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. Today is June 26, 2021, and this is weekly roundup number two. So, Devin, let's get right into it. So, listeners, we wanted to go ahead and open up our first segment, topic one, with this whole notion that we heard over the week about defund the military. Um, you know, Devin, it's kind of crazy because it's, it's very reminiscent of defund the police and we know how that did for some of the Democrats, but the Republicans listeners have been really pushing this idea that we should defund the military. And just to give you a little backstory, this kind of we saw this out of an interview on Fox News on the I think it's the Laura Ingram show or Laura Ingram report. I don't know what she calls it. But she was talking about, you know, going after the military's budget. She was saying that that's the only thing that they seem to understand is their money. And it's basically a reaction to the military listeners doing more about cracking down on on extremists and you know racism within the military and things. And then what they're doing, uh, listeners, they're just really trying to teach uh, within different academies different principles about that. They're not necessarily teaching you know critical race theory, which is again something that <laughs> a lot of people have gotten. Uh, fallen over and, and and they don't really understand what that is. But a lot of people are, are just kind of losing their minds about what the military is doing to try to educate our, 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 uh, our, our, you know, our, you know, future military, you know, uh, Devin. And, you know, you even had Republican uh, Byron Donalds, a Republican out of Florida who backed her, you know, hundred percent correct is what, you know, he said, Congress should not be spending money to the military in order to teach critical race theory. So, Devin, I mean, it seems like everybody is just getting all bent out of shape about people wanting to be more aware of what's going on. I mean, you've got Matt Gates who's saying, you know, Democrats should be attacking the FBI and defunding them. I mean, it's, it's just been, you know, months after months of the Republicans, you know, attacking the military and the Pentagon leaders for just wanting to know what's going on wanting to know why there's so much white rage, wanting to know why there was people that stormed our Capitol and wanted to stop an election. There's just a lot going on, Devin. And, you know, can't believe that the Republicans always wanting to expand the military, talking about defunding the military now. You know, it's it's truly remarkable to see the, the shift that has taken place um, by the Republican Party or, or just Republicans in general from being staunch supporters of our police, our military, almost too much so to where they thought that those entities couldn't do any wrong. And now they've drawn the line at critical race theory and not wanting our troops to be taught, you know, that race does play a factor, you know, and and how your life evolves here in, in the, you know, in America. And it's just, it's just strange. It's not strange, but it's just remarkable to see the change. You know, they're outwardly, they're overtly speaking out about, you know, defunding the military. Could you imagine Joe Biden getting up on stage saying, yeah, let's go after the military's funding because they're doing things I don't agree with. People will lose their minds, but they're, but it's okay now because they're upset that the military won't go along with this dog and pony show that they're trying to put on about critical race theory. Even the military understands that critical race theory is is something that should be taught not to students, but to people 
grown adults in the military to understand the role of race in America. That's all it is. It's not picking oppressors and victims. It's just explaining how race in America does play a factor in one's life. And that's all it's saying. But it's just crazy to me that Laura Ingram can go on the show and say, go after their budget. It's just weird when we heard her, you know, over the past summer last year, just going crazy about the fact that cities were defunding their police departments. But she can say, go after the military's budget and that's okay. Yeah, the entire military, <laughs> like the entire national defense. Like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, it's, that's why I'm so glad, you know, General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, like just, just really, you know, defended, you know, the, the, themselves in, in the, uh, in the hearing. Cause this is a Capitol here, uh, Capitol hearing, uh, hearing, uh, Capitol Hill hearing listeners. And I'm so, it's so nice to see, you know, Devin, uh, the white guy, uh, you know, say this rather than, you know, Secretary Austin, who, you know, is black. I mean, you know, General Milley came out and said, you know, I just want to understand white rage. He's like, you know, he, he just wants to understand what happened to cause people to assault the the building, the yeah. Capitol. I mean, it's just that that's what it's all about, Devin. But like you said, people are just mad because people are wanting to know about racism. <laughs> and, and some people want to act like racism doesn't exist. And they seem to not be able to separate. Acknowledging that racism exists does not equal that America is just this racist country that every white person in the country is now guilty of being racist. That is not what we're saying. That is not what critical race theory says. But some people, you know, it's it's just funny to me that this is where they draw the line. This is the line that you can't talk about race in the country. <laughs> you know, no, you can't. Not no, George no, Floyd. No matter who you are. Right. Exactly. Not George Floyd dying in the middle of the street. You know, you know, that's okay. We can't, we shouldn't do anything to the police departments. But, whoa, boy, when you get to talking about teaching critical race theory and diversity trainings or teaching any of these supposedly divisive concepts, oh, now we got a problem. This has gone too far. And I just. You're too woke. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're too woke. It's a, I hate that term that they've taken it and used it. It's this derogatory thing of, you know, you're too woke and this, you know, all these progressives and liberals um, are, are just trying to make America soft and trying to make it lawless and all these different things. Um, it's just, you know, more, it's not surprising, but it is just from the folks who, you know, we watched last year. But this is a, a conversation that needs to be had. I'm, I'm glad we are at least having the discussions about not so much about critical race theory, but just the role of race in the country. And we're getting to see that we have a lot of work to do when it comes to having that conversation and he- having the other side at least just hear you. Not just the education it, side just, of it. Yeah, just at least willing to come to the table and say, let's talk about the role of race in the country. They don't want to hear it. They put their hands over their ears. Or they go yell at you and say that you're racist for even acknowledging that race plays a factor in how your life turns out. And all of a sudden, everything we say is racist. <laughs> and they're just trying to flip the discussion. And it's not going to work. No matter what they do, nobody's going to defund the military. Um, and they're going to keep on teaching critical race theory. As the Joint Chiefs of Staff said, they're not going to bend to whatever the Republicans are asking. So they And they shouldn't. <laughs> and they really, really shouldn't. So just a ridiculous... Uh, conversation coming from the Republicans. So we're going to keep it moving uh, kind of in the same vein, but we do know that a lot of, you know, conservative people did 
go and attack the Capitol. Uh, some of that white rage that the Joint Chiefs of Staff was talking about. Uh, but some there is some other news, though, about the January 6th uh, insurrection. And so uh, this comes from Yahoo News. But apparently House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced on Thursday that House the, the House of Representatives will actually create a select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. And this is after Republicans had already blocked a bipartisan proposal for an independent bipartisan commission. So, you know, Asia, we, I remember we discussed this. They wouldn't even pass the bill to create the commission. So now Nancy Pelosi is having to go and create a select committee to investigate what happened on January 6th. And it's not clear just yet uh, whether they're going to, you know, call on House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy to talk about the call that he had that day, actually, with with Donald Trump. Um, and and luckily, this is some news from Mississippi. Apparently, the, the person that they're rallying around to be the head of this uh, committee is House Homeland Security Chairman Benny Thompson. We're both familiar with him. Um, so I don't know, Adrian, we, find, we might actually get the commission we want. And it's funny to me, at least. I know this is not necessarily on purpose, but I feel like this might end up being a lot how the Benghazi committee ended up sinking Hillary Clinton's chances of being president. I'm somewhat hopeful, <laughs> at least that a, a commission on the January 6th insurrection will blunt some of those gains that the Republicans are trying to get in Congress during the midterms next year. I I completely agree with you, Devin. I am 100% uh, behind you in, in, in those same thoughts. Um, just because... We're at a point where we're just wanting to, again, learn. We're just trying to see what what's going on because there's a, you know, there's, there's a lot of communication behind the scenes, listeners, that led up to that January 6th insurrection. And I know that, you know, it's five months, you know, and almost six months after that, we're still talking about it. But there's a lot happening, you know, with our country that, that stems from that same hate and that same fear and that same... Uh, 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 intolerance that a lot of the rioters and insurrectionists had, we're still dealing with that today. And until we uncover that, you know, there's going to be another election and there's going to be another time where we've got to certify, you know, the, the votes from the Electoral College and we could have another January 6th come 2024. So it's really, really important, Devin, that we get at the heart of what's going on here. And, and I mean, I, I'm glad to see that the Justice Department is, is really, you know, and doing their due diligence to investigate and making sure that they're doing their part here because we, we have to hold everybody accountable, uh, whether it's Republicans or if it was if they find out Democrats were involved in what was going on. No matter who is involved, we've got to make sure that they're held, you know, responsible for it. Um, and I mean, it's I, it's it's crazy. That it took you know it took you know the speaker just having to do this select committee rather than them just doing a bipartisan committee. You'd have th- you you would think that the Republicans would rather it be uh, bipartisan rather than it be something that select committee. And I think that you know they were talking on the news today of whether or not you know they would actually put some Republicans on the committee because, you know, sometimes they'll uh, one side will uh, not offer up their side just to kind of delegitimize the committee. But at this point, I think America wants to know, Devin, um, what happened and what's going on. And I think if you polled everybody, 
um, they would have just done with the bipartisan. I think most people in America uh, were just wondering why the Republicans didn't move forward with that. But here we are, Devin, just again, trying to learn um, and, and just see what's going on. So I, I'm hopeful that, you know, that the, the select committee will, will, will get going and we'll be able to kind of uh, do some things here and, and learn some more of what was, you know, what was happening. No, I definitely think it needs to happen. We need that, at least for the sake of the country, we at at least need some kind of study report that we can go back to and say, this is what happened. We don't have to rely on people telling bits and pieces of what, you know, their versions of the story. We at least know that we investigated. We have um, people being called to testify to explain their role in this. And it's necessary um, just so that the country understands exactly what happened on that on January 6th. So, uh, of course, we'll keep you updated as that committee, uh, as announcements are made as far as who's going to be on it. But one last little piece of information before we get into our break here. Um, that January 6th insurrection, a lot of people have been arrested by the FBI. And we're now just starting to finally get some, you know, some sentences and some convictions out of this. Um, So it looks like this past week, we actually got the first person. This was on Wednesday. An Indiana woman became the first defendant to be sentenced for the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. And she was able to avoid uh, time behind bars. But there was a member of the Oath Keepers extremist group that pled guilty in a uh, conspiracy case and agreed to cooperate with prosecutors, which is a huge step uh, for this investigation. And so those developments kind of you know, showing you, Adrian, that the, you know, things are starting to chug along here. They've arrested a lot of people, but now they're starting to get into court, starting to convict some of these people, starting to charge them and starting to hopefully start to, to sentence some of these folks. Um, so they send a very clear message that you cannot just storm the Capitol and waltz out of there as if nothing happened. Again, you know, like like Mr. McKissick said, they're not tourists. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, it seemed like it the way that some of them, you know, stormed the Capitol and just you know treated it like it was their own personal property or whatever. But glad to see that you know justice uh, justice does prevail in the end of the day. Exactly. Big time. And and speaking of justice being doled out here, some some uh, some big news here out of the Derek Chauvin trial. So, yeah, very big. Um, So the Derek Chauvin trial wrapped up some months ago. He was charged on all counts and now he has been sentenced. So uh, on Friday, yesterday, Derek Chauvin, the former police officer who did kill George Floyd um, on a Minneapolis street last year, was sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison. And so under Minnesota law, uh, Mr. Chauvin will have to serve two thirds of his sentence or at least 15 years before he would be eligible for a supervised release for the remaining seven and a half years. And I'm hoping they revoke that. He does not need to be out on a supervised release. Make him serve all 22 and a half of those years uh, for what he did. So there you go. Some big news there. Derek Chauvin. Uh, sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison. So we did get some justice there, Adrian. Yep, you're absolutely right. And I think that on the family side, they were hoping for the maximum, which I think was 30 or, or so. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, he definitely needs to do his time to learn and repair. I know somebody said he's a mom or rather that you know he's got a mom and he's got kids and he's a brother and stuff like that. But he also uh, did some uh, very horrible things. So 
Uh, listeners, we really appreciate you for sticking with us during this first segment here. Uh, we're going to go into our second segment here, which we actually have a really exciting interview for you. So you will definitely want to stick with us during the break. So enjoy the music and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So, like Adrian said before the break, we do have a very special uh, interview coming up for you here um, because the story for this topic here. This is our second segment, but our very first topic, and we wanted to talk about, uh, you know, that the the incident that happened in Florida when a a condo building partially collapsed on Thursday. This is early Thursday morning. This is outside of Miami uh, right now. I believe they have at least one person killed. Um, and then they have dozens of others who are missing or unaccounted for. And so right now, rescuers are looking uh, for more people. And so what actually happened was that a wing of a 12-story a building in the community of Surfside, uh, Florida, came down. It literally collapsed. It pancaked on top of itself at around 1.30 a.m. that morning. And by late afternoon, rescuers were still looking for, like I say, oh, nearly 100 people were unaccounted for. I think it's gone over well over 100 people now unaccounted for. And right now, uh, authorities said that's raising fears that the death, coke, the death toll could climb sharply as they try to dig through the rubble. Um, the officer, officials did not know at the moment how many people were in the tower when it fell. Um, but right now, they're looking at well over 100 people unaccounted for. So, uh, Adrian, just before we get to our interview, really, really devastating incident there. And one of the scariest things to me, at least personally, uh, you know, they don't know the exact cause, but just seeing the pictures and the video, it's just it's it's mind blowing. It looks like the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, you know, from the 90s. You're you're absolutely right, Devin. Um, it, it's it looks like a, a really, uh, you know, large uh, disaster scene. I mean, it's whenever they were talking about the first responders or the people who you know went to Haiti, went to 9-11. I mean, listeners, this is some, you know, some real stuff. I know everybody's probably watched videos and seen pictures, but this is some real stuff. And we're really excited to be able to have uh, an, an expert on structural engineering to talk to us about it. Um, so just, you know, you know, definitely pay attention uh, because he's going to be able to give us some good insight here. And listeners, just before we get into our interview, let's go ahead and introduce our guests. So welcome to the show, Dr. Aitaran Azizi Namini. He is an expert in structural engineering. Dr. Azizi Namini holds a BS degree in civil engineering from the University of Oklahoma and a PhD degree from the University of South Carolina. He is a registered professional engineer in several states. He has carried out numerous research studies in structural engineering and has published more than 200 journal papers, books, and technical articles. Dr. Azizi Namini was appointed by the College of Engineering and Computing at Florida International University as the chair of the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at FIU in January of 2011. So welcome to the show, Dr. Zizi Namini. All right, Dr. Zizi, so let's go ahead and get started. 
Um, as you were just watching the footage and looking at the pictures, just generally tell us, you know, what stood out to you in those pictures and, and, and what did you just briefly think about the collapse? Right. Um, you know, as I saw the, the, the video of the collapse, uh, the question that came to my mind is the same question that comes to the, everybody's mind, whether it's structural engineer or just a regular public or uh, and that is okay. What what caused this uh, collapse? What what exactly happened? Okay, but the difference is, in the difference comes uh, the way I look at the problem, by the way the uh, the general public may look at the problem is that okay, our approach to find out what the reason is or reason or reasons. Um, in my approach or structural engineering approach, our approach is to collect every information that is possible and everything that is attached to the history of this building from the time that was designed, constructed, uh, uh, looking at the foundation, looking at the uh, construction photograph, talking to the people, uh, looking at every piece of information that's available and then piecing everything together and then using some of the advanced tools that we have access to, such as uh, very advanced analysis method that we can recreate what you saw in the video and then find a reason. Now, in my, in the eyes of the structural engineering uh, approach, it will take us time, maybe a year, maybe even more than that. Whereas the general tendency will be to find out right away. Okay, you tell me what, what exactly. That's, that is the wrong way to, I think, to approach the problem. It's going to take time for us. We need to be patient. We need to let the, let the uh, investigator do their job and they come up with a reason. I mean, certainly there are so many different factors that's involved, okay? Uh, there, there is a talk of the, maybe the ground was satellite down. There is a, uh, this structure was located in the, uh, close to the ocean. So the uh, saltwater intrusion is, is a, is a, is an issue. So there's so many, there, there were reports that there was a, a heavy load in the roof. I mean, we don't know uh, which uh, was more uh, cause for the collapse. We have no idea at this point. Uh, by looking at it, I mean, we can guess, we can guess that, for example, this might have been the issue. Uh, uh, but on, until we do the complete investigation, it's very premature to say that. And I give you an example of, you know, it's like, for example, you go to a doctor and a, a doctor who is not very responsible may look at your, you know, your, your let's say the color of your skin uh, in the face, say, oh, uh, you may have a colon cancer or you have a stomach cancer. I mean, that would be very stressful for the patient, right? Yes, exactly. Until you go through the MRI, do this ultrasound test, do the taking blood samples and things like that, you won't be able to uh, diagnose trying to say that what exactly. It's the same thing in the case of the building. Okay. Now, the only thing that I am, I am, I have a very strong opinion is that I think regardless of what lessons we learn, I think Certain buildings located in certain areas, I won't, I won't advocate for every building, but certain buildings located in certain areas, we need to change our uh, 
governing codes and we need to inspect them from a structural engineering standpoint more often than once every 40 years. I think from just a structural engineering standpoint, we need to inspect them, I don't know, maybe five, ten years. Okay, That's a decision that the, the, the community, uh, structural engineering community needs to come up with. We need to inspect them uh, more often from a structural engineering standpoint uh, if it's not done. Okay. And that, that I see that as a, uh, one of the major lessons that we may learn uh, and major improvement that we incorporate in, into our uh, 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 governing uh, the policies. Uh, there may be some additional lessons we may learn that it may result into some additional uh, changes into our, uh, the way we design or construct or inspect the, the buildings. And this is a, uh, we do this in every aspect of our life. Our knowledge as a mankind have always evolved. Unfortunately, the evolution of our knowledge sometimes are reflection of lessons we learn from these such tragic events. And in the case of the earthquake engineering in the West Coast, I mean, We've had, we have learned so many lessons in different earthquakes uh, and still be improving. Every earthquake that happens, we, we make some changes into our building codes. Uh, now we are to a point that uh, where the, our buildings subjected to a very, even a very strong earthquakes are not really um, uh, collapsing because our philosophy is that the building during a major major earthquake should could sustain damage even beyond repair, but it should not fail. So yeah, that makes sense, and I mean that's one of the things that I've realized because I actually I live in Los Angeles, California, and I know that we have you know with more earthquakes and things they have a lot more going on, and I like what you were saying, Doctor Zizi, about that 40-year inspection, because I was reading an article and I saw one of the lawyers for the building saying that the building was going uh, undergoing its 40-year inspection and, and recertification. Um, in, in your opinion, Dr. Zizi, do you think during that uh, that inspection, maybe the builders and engineers were overlooking some things? Or what, do you, what would your advice to other local builders and engineers be whenever they're actually doing these evaluations and recertifications to make sure that they don't you know, have these same sort of incidents happen? Yeah, uh, I I really don't have any specific advice. What, what I was saying is that I think we need to, if you inspect, let's say, a building every 10 years, you may see the change from, let's say, 10 years previous to 10 years after, okay? And that may give you some clues as far as what's going on. So um, uh, the... In my opinion, from a structural engineering standpoint, the four years are way too long. You don't have a reference point. Uh, you don't have a reference point to go with. But if you do it, with, let's say, even five years, then you have a reference point. In the, we do actually, we do inspect our bridges once every two years. Uh, I don't believe we should be inspecting the, uh, these build, certain buildings located in certain areas. I mean, every once every two years, but certainly not every 40 years. And uh, in the case of the uh, bridge structures, we inspect them once every two years because the bridge is exposed. And then 
actually that law it's a federal law in fact to inspecting the bridge once every two years that came because of the collapse that took place in 1967 silver spring bridge in west virginia that uh, caused 40 people to uh, to die in that accident and, and as a result of that there was a the, the mid 70s uh, it became a law that we need to inspect every bridge one uh, once every two years um so uh, that's why i think when you do that we always have a reference point you know you say two years ago you had so much crack now you have additional cracks so and that will give you some clues and if there is a problem then you can fix it on time Exactly. And that makes sense because um, it's like what you were saying when you're looking at all the possibilities for why the building collapsed. I know one expert was talking about the structure had been sinking for years. And in your, in your point, if they were doing evaluations more frequently, they would be able to kind of notice those sorts of things um, without having a lot of issues. And, and I'm glad you're, you're really bringing it up because it sounds like we really need to have like you said, in certain areas, more of a national approach of taking structural integrity uh, more seriously. Yeah, I think the uh, uh, from the uh, again, this is a really and and there is probably the reason that we haven't done that in the past because the buildings usually you don't you don't see buildings collapsing like this. I mean, we don't have it in the earthquake zones. I mean, we we uh, we, uh, we conduct our business a bit differently. Uh, uh, but and in the case of the bridge, we do some completely different. I mean, we are really careful because everything is exposed. So, um, uh, in the case of the building, I think that will be a, that will be improvement. Again, not every building. I mean, that's important. But this is a discussion that the, the structural engineering community with the policymakers needs to come uh, together and uh, come up with uh, with a recommendation uh, that along with the maybe some changes that we may incorporate into some of our design and uh, and so on uh, so that in the future we don't have a, a single event like this I agree with you completely and I, and I really hope that you can continue to do more interviews and conversations like this and that other experts in structural engineering will continue to do that uh, because we know that it is going to take these sorts of conversations to get our policymakers more aware of what's going on so that they could take a, an initiative to fix what's you know fix the issues here. So, Dr. Ziza, we really, really appreciate you giving us some insight into what's going on. We know it's early. We know that there's going to be more investigations and things, but we really appreciate you stepping ahead of everything and kind of beating some of the speculation to tell everybody to stop. You know, it's going to take some time for us to figure this thing out. We know most everybody is wanting answers right now, but thank you for, you know, being the professional to say it's going to take some time before we get there. You bet. You bet. All right. Well, hey, listeners, uh, you've been listening to Dr. Etaran Azizi Namini. Uh, he is the chair of the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Florida International University. Dr. Azizi, thank you for being with us today. You bet. My pleasure. All right, listeners. So let's go into our topic two here. We had a great interview with Dr. Azizi, really good uh, insight into structural engineering. 
might give you some insight into majoring in that, making some money and trying to help with those uh, building uh, experts, different things. But we wanted to talk a little bit about Rudy Giuliani. Uh, used to be America's mayor, but now he's a, a disbarred uh, a lawyer. Uh, New York's highest court on Thursday listeners suspended the law license of Rudy Giuliani. Remember, he was a former uh, personal attorney for President, uh, President Donald Trump, and they suspended his law license in largely part. Uh, rather, they suspended his license in large part because of false statements that he made about the Georgia election results. And everybody can remember uh, Giuliani being the clown with the mascara, or well, not mascara, but his um, his uh, hair dye running down his face while he was giving that press conference. Um, he even pressured uh, the uh, uh, his team pressured state lawmakers to appoint electors in the Electoral College to cast Georgia's votes in favor of Donald Trump. But yeah, I mean, it, it's really crazy, uh, Devin, um, to, to, to know that you as a person of law would even go and, and, and do these sorts of false and misleading statements. But I mean, he did it to in the, the public, the courts, the lawmakers. I mean, this was, I mean, this was the, the Giuliani, uh, uh, um, you know, crusade around America to, to tell everybody that Donald Trump was supposed to be in office. But we see here what happens whenever you have all these falsehoods. Um, you can be held accountable for that, especially if you're a lawyer. Uh, Georgia Secretary of State Brian uh, Brad Rathisberger uh, was, you know, praised the ruling, really just trying to uh, say that it further showed that, you know, the validity of what was going on in Georgia was actually there. So, I mean, uh, Devin, I don't, I don't really know what else you can say about Rudy. I feel like he's just fallen from grace and. Um, you know, he used to be a, a man of, of, of great rapport and great clout, but um, now, you know, he's you know no longer allowed to. Pro- well, it's not permanent because he is actually a suspension. Uh, it's interim right now, so he can appeal. But uh, I think based off of everything that he said and done, uh, he's probably going to have to hang up his uh, law license forever. <laughs> that's it's a it's an amazing fall from grace you know like he said it's almost weird you know when you said it, he used to be america's mayor because the last couple years of rudy giuliani have been strange awful you know it's it's amazing that it took this long for his license to get uh suspended because the things that he said during the election which is i mean just straight up lies I mean, listen, folks, if you're still holding on to this big lie that somehow Donald Trump won the state of Georgia and it was stolen from him, uh, I don't know what else to tell you. (laughs) You know, they went to court, they tried, and Rudy Giuliani is finally facing the consequences for what he says. And it's absolutely what he deserves. You know, one of our questions here was, is this justice? Uh, Is this the justice that Rudy deserves? And yes, it is, because what you say matters and you cannot go out into the public uh, square and just shout falsehoods. And it, it doesn't make it true because you keep saying it. And that's the problem with Rudy Giuliani and the folks who were, were pushing this crap, saying that the Georgia Secretary of State, who is a Republican, by the way, was trying to steal the election away from Donald Trump. It just wasn't true. And it's really sad, Adrian, that a man like Rudy Giuliani sucked to these levels for a man like Donald Trump. You know, it's like you've ruined your name, your career for Donald Trump. What did you get out of that? (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean it's it's very interesting because it's you know it's you know it's very same thing happened to Michael Cohen. You know, yeah. <laughs> he was Donald Trump's personal lawyer too. It's like uh, it's almost like anybody that gets around Donald Trump is is in danger of of losing all of their livelihood because it's you know, even you know this whole organization is is, is, is potential. Uh, charges or criminal charges next week. I think the Manhattan DA is looking at investigating them. And I mean, it's just crazy to see this. And, you know, as, as a person like Rudy, who, who really had a bright future, I mean, especially being the mayor of New York, I mean, we already have talked about how New York, you know, the constituency in New York is larger than a lot of states. I think like 30 something states, uh, you know, New York is larger than I think 37 states in America. So, it's just, you know, it's crazy to think that he used to be in that position. I think he was mayor during uh, 9-11, so he had really, really great rapport, really, really great name. I mean, this guy could have probably, you know, run for governor, run for president or something like that. But he just really has, you know, just uses his final moments in the spotlight to hitch his wagon at Donald Trump, which was a terrible decision. Um, and, and, and now we see what, what happens whenever you try to do all these falsehoods. I mean, I, I don't even remember all the, the, the wacky conspiracies he was, you know, saying from probably, you know, uh, dead people voting to a bunch of illegals to all kinds of stuff, but they disprove all of that listeners. So we're thankful that he's, uh, getting his licenses suspended. Hopefully it'll be permanent. So he had to get to do that anymore. And hopefully, Devin, this is going to be a wake up that others who are doing these false accusations should also be held accountable. It was nice, Devin, to see um, that the Michigan uh, Senate committee, um, they filed a report you know, about the Michigan Senate, uh, excuse me, about the Michigan election, how there wasn't any fraud. And they also said, you know, rather they recommended to their attorney general that he should investigate people who've been doing uh, all these false accusations. So, Maybe it's a time for uh, uh, more and more people to start, you know, investigating it. And I guess that kind of um, goes into our uh, next little before the break here, because um, we see that the uh, DOJ actually put out a release today, or, the, or rather they put out a release during this week, where they're actually going to be suing Georgia, Devin, because um, we know that... Um, the state of Georgia passed a lot of different uh, laws around the election, basically saying because of all the fraud that they thought was going on, that they should pass more laws around this. But fortunately, uh, Merritt Garland, Attorney General Merritt Garland, said they're going to be investigating this. Um, and it's really nice to see what's going on there because um, we're hoping, Devin, um, that they're going to start to investigate more and more states for all of these different things. Because as we can see from what happened to Giuliani, um, the the election had no fraud, and we don't need all these uh, bills to do something that didn't happen. Exactly. I mean, it, it's it's all a lie, like you said. <laughs> um, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to take our next break. And when we come back, we'll have another uh, great interview for you. This, this time we're talking about some big news out of the NFL uh, dealing with uh, one of its players. So uh, stick with us and we'll have an interview coming right up. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? 
Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So we're continuing our weekly roundup here. This is segment three. And uh, our first topic is going to be some big sports news that came out this week uh, with a uh, NFL player named Carl Nassib, who actually came out and made some history this week. So uh, Carl Nassib, if you don't know, he is a defensive lineman with the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, He came out this week as the first active NFL player to announce that he is indeed gay. Uh, And he announced this on Monday uh, in a in a video that he shared on his Instagram page, and the team even published a statement supporting him, marking what many people hope to be is a shift forward towards more acceptance and inclusiveness, not only in the NFL but also in wider world of professional sports. And so, um, during his Instagram video, uh, Carl Nassib announced that he's donating a hundred thousand dollars to the Trevor Project, which is a nonprofit organization. Uh, that was created to support LGBTQ youth. And so uh, to, to to talk with us about this, we've had him on the show before, but his name is Michael Ray. He's a former uh, collegiate athlete. He was he played at the uh, Florida State University and he is a, a budding uh, music, musician here in Dallas, Texas, but also a very good friend of mine. And like I say, he's been on the show with us before. So, Michael, welcome back. <laughs> and we hey, can hey, what's up? What's up, fellas? I feel special with that kind of intro. Like, who cares about me? <laughs> well, that's how we do it here, man. We take care yes. of our guests. We got to make yes, sure yes, folks understand that you you are the experts here. So, uh, Michael, we know, like you said, your history, you've been in sports, you know, for, yes. for most of your life and everything. You played at Florida State, which is a humongous school when it comes to college football. Um, but just from your point of view, you know, what, what was your reaction to seeing that video by Carl Nassib? Well, I mean, it was going to happen inevitably, but, like, gay athletes have been playing sports this entire time. Like, only non-athletes are surprised. Like, people who've played in locker rooms, like, it doesn't make any real logical sense to assume that there are no gay people in professional sports. Like, when we literally have people, like in the WNBA, we have people getting married to each other. Like it's everywhere. Why? What would make the NFL the exception, right? And that's just not how it works. Um, so I was glad for him. I thought it was awesome that he was able. You know, when you sign a contract that can pay you in the millions and guarantees sixteen point seven, right? Then suddenly you can feel a lot braver about jeopardizing what you could potentially get you know so like i'm glad for him but you know he's the right kind of person who would be able to make this kind of announcement uh so i feel like it might work out for him i don't necessarily believe it's some sort of trend shift in in the entire league or anything like that like exceptions are made all the time that's far different than a general acceptance so I will, while I'm glad for him, you know, and I hope that other people are uh, brave enough to live their truth, whatever that is, you know. I I don't know singularly if it reckon, if it's some kind of momentous moment where it's going to be fundamentally change the game forever. 
Yeah, that's very true, Michael. I could I could see that perspective. And 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 one of the things that that I was looking at because I was reading an article about this, mm-hmm. and they were talking about uh, the fact that um, you know I guess technically he's not the, the the first one, but he's just the one that's got the most attention, just because uh, Michael Sam, you know, he was the first openly gay athlete to be drafted in 2014. Right. But he wasn't really on a you know a big team. You know, he, he never played really it down in the league. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So my question to you, Michael, do you think that just you know you know does it does it take status and you know being you know being a bigger name for people to to care and support you versus being you know lower on the totem pole and not really getting much recognition? Well, I think it's cumulative. Honestly, you had to st- like the NFL works in stages. So like you had to first get drafted. And so Michael Sam kind of broke that barrier of getting drafted. But then you also then need an example of somebody who had been drafted and had, was able to sustain play in the league for a number of years. That's the element that's the most important about it and what actually gives it the most gravitas. It's not where it was done because the knock against Michael Sam is that it could very easily be spun that he did it to gain notoriety to increase his draft position, right? This is done in a way where he's already been in the league, and so that gives more validity to the people uh, or to those naysayers. It takes that uh, ability to make that kind of accusation away because he's already got the bag. Like So, like, there's not that trying to play people aspect. So this is makes it more seem more real and more authentic. And I'm not saying that that was true about Michael Sam, but I'm saying that's the way the media can sometimes portray it when they try to portray a black man in a negative light to decrease his overall value. And we know that they do that on a regular basis. But this guy, he fits the mold. You know, he's handsome. He's pretty. He's white. Hey, he's palpable. He can cross the fences in both ways. Like, the girls are liking him. The guys should like him. So, like, he is in a particular position where he can be the first because he's comf- he's got the security. He can always retreat to those other aspects. If they kicked him out of the league tomorrow, he's already a hero in the gay community, which is the highest per capita community in America. They're going to buy whatever he's selling. He is now a celebrity who can then market off that. So, like, his future is secure basically no matter how this turns out. So while it is definitely a risk and brave, it's also smart and calculated. Yes. And that's like you say, the NFL works and it's, it's going to be cumulative. It's going to be step by step by step. So now that we have an active player who's come yeah. out as gay, the next step is going to be, well, how is he going to be treated going forward by teammates and by teams? You know, say if well, he see, gets- that's the thing right there. He's already been in the league. He's already had teammates. He's already, we, he already knows how he's going to be treated. And those teammates, surprisingly, those teammates, most of them already know. Right. And, and I'm, and then, but, the, and, and the interesting thing to me is that, yes, he is, you know, like his teammates know and the team knows we're not in season. So it's not as if, you know, there's a game coming up where the other team is, you know, so. I think some of the players may be looking to see, well, how is he going to be treated on the field? How is, you know, when you get in the heat of the game, is that going to be something that comes up? Or say if at the end of the season, I don't know his contract status, but, um, you know, if he comes up on the next contract, 
he's obviously going to have a bigger star because of the fact that he is an, an openly gay active NFL player. So how does that play out? You know, does he not get as many opportunities? Because whether we like it or not, not every team owner or coach is happy with him coming out like this. Well, so they're going to be wondering, do I sign a guy and bring that into my locker room? We just have to be realistic. (laughs) It is the NFL. Um, And the Raiders came out and got behind it, but there, you know, there are other teams like, "Mm, glad it's not me having to make that decision. So I guess, you know, well, the NFL is individual owners. I would say, mm -hmm. yeah. But what we do also know about the NFL is that the NFL takes the temperature of the room and reacts to the way the money is flowing. And they see the impact that happens when companies are turned against by the LGBTQE plus community. Now, from a capitalism point of view, it serves their benefit to embrace him. So whether it's real or not is a different question than how is it going to work out? What you're alluding to is, is it going to display itself? Is homophobia going to display itself in the form of actual violence on the field towards him because he is gay in a way that would not have unfolded towards him if they believed he was straight? And I can tell you, in the from the heat of battle, that is really the last thing you are thinking about. Mm-hmm. There's so much more more things going on. I got to make sure I know my assignment. I'm trying to read what you're doing. I'm trying to anticipate what you're doing, make sure I don't get cracked from the blind side. Like there's too much going on for me to be worried about, well, is he looking at my butt too long? (laughs) Like, (laughs) like these are grown men running at full speed. Like, Right. No, I mean, I, I, I completely understand it. Like you say, it is, the NFL is very usually very good at taking the temperature of the room. Um, you know, like I say, the league is going to get behind it. The Raiders are going to get behind it. I'm just interested to see going into the season if we're still talking about it. You know, if if his performance doesn't match up, will the well, questions come? Depends. You know, just it's that just interesting to see how he's going to treat it, huh? After after 2020, I, I need you not to ask questions like that because we've already seen like how crazy a year can get. Like in three Mm -hmm. months, we might've already forgotten about this because something exploded. Like, like it's a story right now because there's not a lot else going on. Right. Like the playoffs, you look at the NBA, right? Sports, right? Okay. Those are nice teams. Those are not the marquee teams in the NBA. So interest has waned a little bit. So like, it's you know what what are, what are we talking about on the shows like so sometimes you have that <laughs> just inflation of yeah. things that normally wouldn't get as much hype getting more hype than they normally would just because there's a vacuum of other shit to talk about. And that's I mean that's true. That's, sure. yeah. I mean I can <laughs> I can I can see how that plays out because I mean there's especially with with the fact that everything that that's going on has been about you know election voting Trump COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, this mm-hmm. is kind of a breath of fresh air, so to speak. And, yep. I mean, and also, I mean, it's it's June. I mean, it's Pride Month as well. So, I mean, it's, yeah. um, you know, ending the curve of Pride Month. So, it's a, a good way to kind of uh, round off and end things. And it is great to see that he's taking a step to start to give, you know, to the, you know, to the community. Yeah. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, as he's the first person to do it, you know, does he empower others to, you know, have the courage to do that yeah. and come out? Um, I definitely anticipate and hope that, you know, more people, because obviously 
Um, you know, he's not the only one. It's just, you know, common sense in the numbers game. He's not the only one. But um, hopefully he's given people some courage and empowered them yeah. to be able to live in their truths. Yeah. And I like the ability to, to live in your truth now. Now, there have been other NFL players who have come out as gay after their career. But so we know that they've played. Gay people have played before, had entire careers. Like So we already know that. But I like that he's able to do that while still playing and not having to feel like he's got to hide uh, something um, about himself when, you know, other people don't have to hide that about themselves. It'd be different if everybody had to hide it. But, you know, I just, you know, we want to build an America that's free and fair for everybody. And this is part of that, you know. Very true. Very, very true. It's a huge announcement. It's a big deal for him and the league. I mean, it shouldn't be, you know, who cares really <laughs> who you go home to, we but in a league they, like, you know, the NFL, what is, you know, it's very tough guy branded. Um, it's going to, you know, it, it was big news. And so kudos to him for coming out. Um, and, and like you say, living his truth and we'll definitely be watching. Hopefully the Raiders do better than last year. I was rooting for them. They did not live up to what I was hoping. Well, you know, um, well, that's why they signed him. Okay. He's, he's, yeah, that's a true. Good player. <laughs> and actually, uh, he had about 11 sacks last Tributes. year, I believe. You know, I mean, you don't get 17 million guaranteed dollars if you can't put pressure on the quarterback. So, like, apart from the, the and that's the thing I do like about, we we get a litmus test to see, okay, is it going to be about him as a player or is it going to be about him as a gay player? And that whole put it having to put that label in front of it will temper whether you're really accepting or, or whether you're just tolerating, you know, because he's just a player. He's not a gay player. Very true. And, and that's, like I said, that's going to be the interesting part to see how this plays out the reaction, the stories that come out. But we'll be watching, and we very well will probably have you back on the show, you know, okay. to talk about uh, what's happening uh, with Mr. Nassif. But, again, uh, we're going to go ahead and, and take, take a little break and maybe come back to our second topic here. Uh, okay. We were talking with Michael Ray. Uh, he's uh, currently a musician here in the Dallas, Texas area, but he is a former collegiate football player at Florida State University. So, Michael, again, we appreciate you coming on and talking with us. No doubt. No doubt. Always a pleasure. Always fun. It's always a good time when we can get Michael uh, back on the show. Uh, and again, he's great. He brings some experience that me and Adrian, um, you know, can't bring. And so that's why we wanted to have him on the show to talk about his time, you know, as an athlete. So uh, really, really good interview there. But we're going to move on and get you out of here. So our second topic, our last topic of the show, uh, with just some news here just to bring it to you out of uh, Los Angeles. I mean, dealing with one of the biggest rappers uh, in the game. And so this is T.I. and his wife, Tiny. Right now, there are two new accusations against T.I. and Tiny. And this is according to a report from the Daily Beast that was published on Monday night. So apparently, two additional women have accused uh, T.I., which his real name is Clifford Harris Jr., and his wife, Tiny, uh, which her name is Tamika Harris. And they've accused two additional women have accused them of sexual assault drugging and trafficking and so one woman is located in los angeles and she is remaining anonymous she spoke with la uh pd detectives in relation to an alleged assault that took place back in 2005 and the lapd has since opened an investigation 
uh, per a spokesperson. And then additionally, the second woman is in Las Vegas. Her her name is Rochelle Jerk Jinx, and she filed a similar report, though the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department did not confirm or deny that there is an active investigation into these allegations. And so this comes after more than 30 women had accused T.I. and Tiny of sexual assault and drugging, which the couple has denied, referring to these allegations as egregious. And so, Adrian, I know T.I. I've listened to his music. We've seen him in movies. Um, These are some pretty salacious, damning allegations against him and his wife. You don't really play around when you're talking about sexual assault, drugging, trafficking, um, you're talking about 30 women here who've accused him of doing this. And then two additional ones just came up, not passing judgment. We're just putting this story out there just to let you know what's going on. But my goodness, you know, 30 people saying the same thing. I just, you know, part of me just thinks this can't be a coincidence. Yeah, Devin, uh, I know I'm not um, a member of the court of law as an attorney or a judge or anything, but uh, it definitely seems to be the case when you've got that much evidence coming against you. So, yeah, uh, listeners, we'll definitely keep you updated. This is, you know, something within the community as someone who's an uh, influential person, you know, T.I. So we, you know, yeah, definitely uh, want to keep you updated on that. Um, one other thing we want to also keep you updated on is this infrastructure deal. Uh, everybody's been talking about it so much. And we saw where uh, President Biden and 10 Senate uh, uh, 10 senators come out on the front lawn of the White House to um, say that they come up with the deal. So President Biden announced on Thursday uh, bipartisan agreement on a part down uh, infrastructure plan that would make a start on his top legislative priority and validate his efforts to reach across the political aisle. He openly acknowledged that Democrats will likely have to tackle much of the rest in their own the bill's price tag right now is $973 billion over five years or $1.2 trillion over eight years, which is kind of a scaled back but significant piece of Biden's broader proposal. Um, of course, they, ta- uh, they touted the deal and saying that it's bipartisan. Um, a lot of Democrats who, uh, like Senator Elizabeth Warren, have come out and said that you know there's got to be more. Uh, I think uh, Senator Blumenthal also come out with the same thing. So... Um, it's interesting, Devin. I mean, we got a deal, but I think a lot of Democrats, unfortunately, are saying more and more and more. Uh, I wish they would sometimes just accept what they have and then, you know, work towards building it rather than kind of coming out right off the back and complaining about it. But at least we've got a deal. <laughs> Tentatively. <laughs> I'm, I'm, hesit- I'm hesitant to say it's going to pass because yeah, that's right. Cause Nancy you know. Pelosi said until we get like uh, the reconciliation of a bigger deal, she's not even going to put this one up for a vote. That's, that's the problem. <laughs> and Republicans have already said they're not, they're not going to do it if they have to tie them together, you know? So I just, God, Lee Congress, <laughs> you know, just get it together. Just pass something. People we've been ignoring infrastructure for decades he comes out and says they have a deal the next day. The Republicans say, ah, we're not going to do it. You know, it's just. And Democrats say we need more right yeah. now. I mean, yes, of course, we could always use more. That's what budget reconciliation is for, which is where they're going to pass a whole lot more spending. But at least right now, at least they may have something of a framework deal, something. Um, I mean, they met. 
the president doesn't come out very often and say we have a deal on something. So that's a pretty big deal. And I would think he was confident enough to say it. I would hope that that's actually going to happen. But And even Joe Manchin was there. Exactly. So that's, <laughs> a, again, that tells you a lot. Like, he didn't just make this up. Biden got some reassurances from these people, Democrats and Republicans, that this was going to pass and that there was support for it. Um, so hopefully. Devin, you, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, the kicker, though, is what somebody said is that the fact that there were 10 senators with them, five Republican, five Democrat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the Senate, we need 10 Democrat, uh, 10 Republicans to come. So they said, you know, well, we're going to get those other five Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Listen, listeners, we will continue bringing you the updates on the infrastructure deal. Uh, but it's today is June 26th. Don't hold your breath that it's going to hey, pass. Listeners, soon. if you've got a Republican <laughs> senator, you need to be called. I'm telling you, you want broadband Internet. Tell them to pass this infrastructure bill. Please call your <laughs> senator, email, text, show up at their office. I don't care. Just just let them know that you need something. You need this passed. We need this passed. The country needs it. We've been needing it and we can't wait any longer for it. So. Uh, again, we'll keep you updated as that goes throughout the summer, uh, next month and into August. We'll keep you updated if such a deal comes forward and passes. So uh, with that, we're going to take our very, very last break and we're going to come back with some with some quick hits and we'll give you some uh, some things to look forward to on the show. And then we'll get you out of here. So stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guess and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, let's get into it here, our quick hits. Uh, normally, uh, Devin and I present to you some funny stuff, but I saw this and I wanted to talk about it a little bit because it's crazy and it's bizarre. Um, but one American news personality, Pearson Sharp, unleashed a bizarre statement this week calling for the mass execution for thousands of Americans based on his belief in the outright false claims that widespread voter fraud amounted in the coup against President Donald Trump or former president in that matter. He said, what are the consequences for traitors who meddled with our sacred democratic process and tried to steal power by taking away the voices of the American people? What happens to them? And he responded, execution. Um, One American News did not respond to a request for further clarification of Sharp's remarks appearing to call for mass execution. And also Sharp went on Talking Points Memo and said that neither he or one or, or OAE, excuse me, OAN are suggesting anyone be executed. He was just basically saying that anybody who did this is treasonous and in the law, treason is punishable by death. But Devin, I think it was a really, really bizarre statement to jump to that. And it's also the same could be said about the Republicans who are trying to steal um, the, the voices of you know millions and millions of people that look like us, um, they're trying to steal their voices. So I guess they're treasonous as well. But um, we're not calling upon the death of anybody here at the Black Agenda. We're just going to say that we need to speak the truth 
and not tell a bunch of lies. So Pierce Sharp, you, you I guess needs to maybe they'll retire him, Devin. I don't know. <laughs> they need to do something. Uh, I'm not going to call for the execution of anybody like them, but you know, this is getting out of hand. <laughs> it re- it really really is like. Come on, folks. Like, just, I think just, a lot of people listen to that network now. I, I never really yeah. heard about it, but I think a lot of a lot of people have started to, especially the Trump, you know, uh, fans. Exactly. Fox. It, it tells you something when Fox News is not extreme enough. They needed to go find somebody else <laughs> that was even more extreme. That tells you just how bad things really are. Um, just insane stuff going on right now, but. That's it. We wanted to make sure we get that quick hit out there just so you know what's going on over the airways in our country. Uh, but we're going to kind of lighten the mood a little bit here uh, with our second quick hit, which this one um, comes out of, I'm not sure what this is, but this is a story about a team of emergency rescue divers who were called out after responding to a scene of a nude drowning woman. But when they got there, they discovered it was actually a floating life-sized sex doll. And so the gaffe was chronicled on Twitter by a YouTuber named Natsuki Tanaka, who had initially believed that she was witnessing a real-life rescue in the city of Hanchinohi, uh, which is in Japan. So this came out of Japan. And so the influencer, who has more than 272,000 subscribers on YouTube, she added that someone else had mistakenly phoned the authorities over this supposed drowning woman. This prompted a Blues Brothers-esque army of emergency services to arrive, ready to rescue what they thought was a person in peril. Um, Indeed, there were photos that showed multiple fire and rescue brigades, police, and ambulance. All of them were working together to dress the dummy from the water in front of a crowd of onlookers. Right now, they were able, the good news is they were able to rescue the doll, uh, but the bad news is they were unclear about how the doll actually ended up in the water. And this is the auto corrode in here. Perhaps this once devoted doll, the lover finally got fed up with his silicone soulmate and threw her into the water. So funny story out of Japan. Apparently they got all hyped up just to rescue a sex doll. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty interesting there. Um, I, um, I, I think I would have probably called too if I would have saw that in the water, just because it's probably you know some of those are very uh, lifelike, and I mean you, you can't really distinguish them uh, from from you know from a real person. <laughs> but hey, here's another one. This is out of my home state, California, uh, where it says uh, authorities in California uh, said that 38 cows were captured. After they were, um, after rather the forty cows in total escaped from a slaughterhouse, and they were able to capture thirty-eight of them. Um, the residents were recalling about cows stampeding through the streets and damaging fences, mailboxes, and cars. Fortunately, the authorities were able to chase the cows and round them up, and they actually called a group of ranchers over to kind of help wheel them together, get some lassos and everything, and uh, corral them onto a trailer. Sheriff's office said that they were able to capture 38 of the cows. One of them remains at large, and one of them was shot, sadly. So um, that that's the downside of that. Um, I don't know about the one at large. Hopefully they'll find them. Uh, hopefully they're not stampeding and doing more damage. But, Devin, I think if I were a cow and I were at a slaughterhouse, I would want to leave as well. 
<laughs> you would. Oh my goodness. Of course they ran away. No, it's, that's a pretty funny story uh, there. So um, our next one here is funny, but kind of, you know, a little scary. So we're used to people getting angry about their orders being wrong, but apparently a customer at a Florida Starbucks took that to the next level. So apparently a Florida, this is again, Florida man. This is the notorious Florida man pulled a gun at a Starbucks drive through after he got irate over his order being wrong. He unwittingly brandished this uh, gun at the local police chief, the local police chief's daughter who actually worked at this Starbucks and she was working the counter. So he pointed the gun at the police chief's daughter. The chief of police is uh, Delma uh, Noel Pratt. She told the local media that after her 23 year old daughter was berated with verbal and physical threats before she handed the driver his cream and cheese, he drove off. Separately, she told Local 10 News the incident hit close to home, occurring just hours before she delivered remarks at previously scheduled rally against gun violence. And so later on that day, police did end up arresting Omar Wright, who is 38, and they arrested him in connection with the incident on charges that included aggravated assault and armed robbery. And he's currently being held on a $10,000 bond. And so allegedly... He returned to the drive-thru and screamed at the chief starter, claiming his cream cheese was missing. When she asked whether he paid for it, police say he pulled out the gun. So, Adrian, you know, they always say there's nothing better than a, a bad guy with a gun than a good guy with the gun. I don't know what, you know, it's pretty insane. You get, you know, I know people get mad about their orders, but this seems a little excessive, pulling a gun on somebody at a Starbucks. And it's a police chief starter. Yeah, yeah, Devin. Dang, um, <laughs> not, yeah, that's just um, that's a lot. Uh, that's a little extra. Um, I, I, I've gotten my order wrong a lot to where like I've gotten like the wrong order altogether, and I could like I've waited two hours for the order, but mm-hmm. I've never thought about going back and you know pulling a <laughs> pulling gun. gun. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought about that. I, I've I've sent some mean complaints on Postmates and DoorDash and Yelp or whatever, but. No uh, gun violence here. Really? No gun violence. Interesting. Yeah. No, I'm, it's not, <laughs> I'm not a stereotype, fortunately. <laughs> right. Hey, you, you didn't hear that from me, listeners. But hey, let's get on to something inspirational here. So this is out of Chicago or Chicago. I don't know where people get the Chicago. I've heard that, but I'm going to say Chicago. There's a bus driver who was looking to relieve stress during the pandemic, which I'm sure everybody uh, was looking to do. But he actually set a goal every day. He was jumping into Lake Michigan. And on uh, today was actually his 365th straight day of jumping into Lake Michigan. His name is Dan O'Connor. He started uh, jumping into the lake at Montrose Harbor on the city's north side last year. And now he's worked his way down, I guess. Uh, he's continued to jump in the lake. Even through the fall, he was jumping to the Lake Devon, uh, which is the hard part of that was hacking a hole in the ice on the frozen lake that was big enough for him to jump through during the winter. So this guy was very ambitious to be jumping through the frozen lake. Said he found about 20 scrapes and cuts on his body whenever he made that first initial hole. But he kept doing it because he was encouraged by all the responses he was getting as he was doing this undertaking. 
And he just said that today was just a huge celebration for him, kind of the uh, culmination of a year of hard work. said that I just wanted to celebrate just that dive, just rather I wanted to celebrate just that drive to dive for 365. Hey, he's a good little author, a good little writer there, but he has something inspirational for you, Devin. Interesting. You know, that's, I mean, hey, everybody deals with stress in different ways, and I guess that was his, you know, jumping into uh, jumping into the river every day. Interesting. Um, so our last one here is not necessarily inspirational. It might creep you out a little bit, uh, but this story comes out of Rhode Island. So apparently there was a woman who was charged with allegedly violating a Rhode Island city ordinance against feeding wild animals. So the 55-year-old woman's neighbors blame her for exacerbating the rodent problem in Cranston, Rhode Island. And this is according to WJAR-TV. And so last week, the publication captured several nocturnal rats active in the middle of the day. Neighbors say that it's even worse during the night. The woman and her parents who own the home have actually pled not guilty to these uh, city ordinance charges. Outside of the courthouse, the woman who had been charged with this told reporters that she's being charged for feeding foul birds and ducks. And she said, who would have known just loving animals get you get you in that much trouble? And that's what she said on the steps of the courthouse. Uh, Anthony Moretti, who is the director of information of administration for the mayor, Ken Hopkins, said he saw more than 20 rats in a carport at this woman's house. He said it will take months to get to get the problem under control. The city plans to send an extermination company to the woman's house. So (laughs) apparently, Adrian, you can't get in trouble for feeding rats at your house. I'm sure if I was her neighbor, I would be furious as well, because if if she is feeding them and the rats are there during the day, then, of course, at night it is 20 times worse. I, yeah, no, they they should have done that a long time ago. <laughs> There's no excuse for that. I I completely agree. Uh, rats are, I, I don't like rats at all. Rats are uh, obviously a problem for several different reasons. Um, and if you're uh, feeding and attracting rats, um, yeah, we, we got to do something about you. You don't feed, who feeds rats anyway? Yeah, it's <laughs> not a thing. <laughs> there we- I never really even understood the people uh, who have rats as pets. I just, I never really understood that. So me just feeding them just because, no, I can't. Not to say that, you know, that, that, you know, God's creations aren't of value or whatever, but um, they can fend for themselves. They can. They absolutely can. They've done it for decades, thousands of years. We don't need to be feeding them. So there you go. Interesting story there. I'm out of Rhode Island. So that's going to do it, everybody. Uh, We're at the end of the show, our weekly roundup. We appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, As always, before we go, we like to give you um, a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. So this is weekly roundup number two. But coming up uh, on Tuesday, June 29th, we'll have our uh, second third episode of the season coming out that is going to be all about the defund the police movement we're going to be talking with someone about how this movement is actually working out for the cities that decided to cut the police budgets um, for their departments so a really really interesting 
um, interview about how the defund the police movement is working on the streets. So that's going to be on Tuesday, June 29th. Look out for that. Of course, we'll be back here with you next Saturday, July 3rd for weekly roundup number three. That could be a special. We're going to see, but make sure you tune in for that one. Um, and we'll be right back here to bring you the news. And of course, we always like to let you know you can donate to us, and Asia's going to let you know how you can do that. Exactly, listeners. Um, we always tell you that donating to us is really important for several reasons. Uh, I think it's clear, as, as we've been doing our uh, couple episodes here, that we're really going towards a direction to be more active in our community, helping with lobbying and pushing progressive ideas. Uh, and we really need your help to be able to do that because your dollars not only pay to help our show expand and operate, but it also can go towards organizations that are promoting real change. And speaking of change, we're going to highlight our charity of the month for the month of July, the organization Color of Change. Color of Change is the nation's largest online racial justice organization. They help people respond effectively to injustice in the world around us. As a national online force driven by 7 million members, they move decision makers and corporations and government to create a more human and less hostile world for black people in America. Sounds awesome. So we really wanted to make sure to highlight them, maybe even having them on the podcast later on in the month. So, yeah, donate to us so that we can help out. All you got to do is go to blackagendapie.com, click on that donate tab, start with the dollar and escalate from there. Well, you heard it there. Uh, folks, you can help us out. Again, you can help out Color of Change. Uh, that is our charity of the month. We will appreciate it. Of course, they will appreciate the support. So we just ask you to check them out. Um, and before we go, if you if you got your phone next to you, pull it out. Go to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Type in at Black Agenda Pied. Follow us on those platforms. We're there. We're active. Um, we just want you to like and share whatever content you see. Uh, we are always promoting our upcoming episodes, so they're really, really good interviews. So again, at Black Agenda Pod, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us on YouTube. Just search the Black Agenda Podcast. And again, we're streaming on all major platforms. Um, so wherever you listen to your music, you can find us, listen to us. Um, so, again, we appreciate you sticking with us. We hope you enjoyed it. We had two fantastic interviews, um, some really good topics. We're kind of moving around a little bit, so that's how we like to do it, bring you the news from our perspective. So, again, we appreciate you staying with us and listening, and we'll catch you next time. 